We have some great things coming up this month and the next month and the following month. We've got so many things coming up. It's going to be getting busy here very quick. The next thing coming up right now is our Bible Institute. It's going to be this Saturday at 3 p.m. on our YouTube page. Uh, we've surpassed 900 subscribers on our YouTube page. We're, we're guiding or we're looking forward to that 1,000th subscriber, and we're, we're asking you to help us out. So why don't you share our YouTube page out with others that you know so that they too can subscribe and get all the great content that we've got on our YouTube page, which the next thing is our Bible Institute, session 1805. So uh, join us for that this Saturday at 3 p.m. And then our next big event, men, if you would come and collect some of these flyers here, we have our Men and Boys Beast Feast coming up. I want to make sure everybody gets a flyer for that so that they can share that out with other people as well. It is absolutely free. March the 2nd at 1 p.m. The activities start 4 p.m. The, the food starts, and so you want to be in your place at least by 4 p.m. But we've got some great activities, some competition. We'll have some prizes and a good time of fellowship and then a program as well. And so we're looking forward to that. Also, we'll need help from everybody to make some dishes for this meal. And so we have the venison, and we will provide you the venison. We just need you to sign up and tell us what you're bringing. Uh, you can also make other things with other uh, meats or other um, ingredients, but we will provide you venison if you want venison. So men, when you're done, if you can come back and collect the uh, sign-up boards. We'll go ahead and pass those as well. We're looking forward to this great event. You want to make sure that you invite everybody that you can. And here you go. And so uh, we can have a jam-packed building. Uh, last two years, we've had, we've had overflow, and it's been great and glorious. People have been saved, and we're looking forward to that again this year. We have Palm Sunday and Lord's Supper and Resurrection Sunday all coming towards the end of March. So more details will come out for all of that the closer we get. We also have a ladies' event coming up at the end of April. So more details will come out for that as well. And then our next extravaganza is going to be on April the 20th. So that's about two months out. April the 20th, our theme is going to be God is our refuge. We're going to be teaching the young people that God is eternal and what that means for their lives. So we'll have more information and signups for that the closer we get to that as well. The special offering this month is the Beams Bible offering. And if you look in front of you, you'll see that hardback Bible. It looks just like this. And this is the Bible that we will purchase and send to third world countries for missionaries and people who don't have Bibles like we do. And so they'll get a good hardback Bible so that they can open it up, read the Word of God, and be affected by it. So if you take that envelope with the purple writing, give the gift of God's Word out, write your check out to Central Baptist Church, and we'll put that in the fund. We have raised so far over $5,000 in the month of January to the Beams Bible Offering, and so we thank you for that, and we, we ask that you continue to give as the Lord leads. And on your way out, you can also get these days of praise. Uh, this goes all the way to February, which is this month. We'll have a new one later on as we get closer to the end of the month. I want you to keep in mind some prayer requests right now. I want you to uh, lift up Brother Gabe in your prayers whenever you think of him. He suffered a mini stroke on Thursday and was hospitalized until yesterday when he was released. He is now home and he's recovering. Thank the Lord there was no um, cognitive decline. There was no muscular damage, anything like that. He's got some recovery to go through and he's not going to be able to drive for about three months right now. Uh, and if you know who Brother Gabe is, 
he drives for a living uh, for Uber. And so that's going to uh, be challenging for him. Uh, but we know the Lord's going to take care of him. So just keep him and Quinn in your prayers as they are home recovering from that. All right, let's go ahead and get started for our message this morning. And I want to thank you all for being here. I know that this is going to be a blessing to you in some way. I hope that it'll be challenging to you in your Christian walk. We ought to come to church. We ought to be blessed. We ought to be encouraged. We ought to be uplifted. We ought to have fellowship. But you know what? The point of coming to church is so that you are well prepared and equipped for the week ahead. Because there's going to be challenges and there's going to be trials and there's going to be things in your life that are going to distract you from the true purpose of being a Christian. The true purpose of living your life for Christ. And my job here is to well-equip you so that you can be ready for this week's challenges. And I, I hope that this message will be so. You know, I was playing with my boys the other day, and it dawned on me. Uh, I have a five-year-old, and I have a two-year-old. And it dawned on me that all they really desire to do is play. That's all they want to do. When I come home from work, which is me walking upstairs from my basement because I work from home, the first thing that I hear is, Daddy, 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 let's play, let's play. And I love it because I love playing with my boys, and they're boys, and so it's easy for me to roughhouse with them and to play with them. Playing with my boys is so easy. But it dawned on me that all they desire to do is play. When my, um, my oldest was a little bit younger, the first thing when I came home, he wanted to play dinosaur. And all dinosaur is, is I'm a man, and he's a dinosaur. And so we run around the dining room table, and we run around the living room, and he chases me, trying to eat me, as being that T-Rex, and he growls and rowls and everything like that. And I, I run as fast as I can, trying to get to the safe spot, which is the couch. So he wanted to play dinosaur all the time. It was like, can we play dinosaur? Can we play dinosaur? We play dinosaur. And then I'd say, okay, well, why don't we play something else and get, him, get his attention on something else? But it dawned on me that all he wants to do is play. And as my youngest is getting older, all he wants to do is play. He doesn't want to do school. He wants to play. He doesn't want to sleep. He wants to play, which makes me very tired, my wife very tired. He doesn't want to do anything else, but he just wants to play. Well, what is he doing? The deeper meaning of what is he doing? He's making play his idol. He's making play the God of his life. And he doesn't realize what he's doing. He's five years old, and playing with my son is a fun time, and we have a great time. But the deeper meaning of what he's doing is he's making that his idol. You know, when we are at the fair or we are on visitation, we encounter a lot of people a lot of times when we ask them, well, do you know who Jesus is? They'll say, oh yeah, Jesus was a prophet or Jesus was a man and he was a good man. And well, yes, he was a good man. The Bible says that he went about doing good. But then they bring up other people like Muhammad and they bring up Buddha. I also know Buddha and I also know about Muhammad and they're all about the same well, that's not true. We know that. But from their aspect, they see many gods. They see, well, I can believe this one day and I can believe that another day. Or they see it as this, where I can just take it all in and it'll, it'll just help me in every, every aspect of my life. They look for all of these other gods in their life. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. It's going to be our text for today. Joshua chapter 24 and here Joshua, he is an old man at this point. He is pushing 110. He's making us look bad, Russ, aren't, isn't he? He's making us look bad pushing whatever we're pushing today. 110. He's old. He's led a great life of faith. He was one of the two spies that came back with the good report 
about the conquest of Canaan along with Caleb. But you know the story where they, they refused to go into Canaan and instead they wandered the wilderness for 40 years and the old generation died off. And so now Joshua has succeeded Moses in the leading of the nation of Israel. And then he's gone to the conquest of Canaan land. He's fought many battles. He's crossed the Jordan River. He's witnessed the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. He's grown in wisdom and faith during this time. And now he's addressing the nation, an old man, knowing that his time has come and that they must continue on in the things that he's taught them and then the things that God has done for them. And here's what he says in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 24. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. We could stop there and I could preach a whole other message about these words right here. How we should fear the Lord. How we should serve Him in sincerity. How we should serve Him in truth. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua here gets right to the point. He makes the people of Israel choose. Who are they going to serve? It's time for the children of Israel to make a choice. Which God will they follow? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or a different God? And this is where he's making them choose. Whichever God that they choose, that God will shape their worldview and it will shape their culture greatly and for generations to come. He profoundly states that he and his house choose to serve the one and true God. But he does give them options. You see that. He says um, you can serve, you can follow the old gods, which are the gods of your fathers. You can follow the past gods, which were the gods of Egypt. You could, saw, you could follow the current gods, which are the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Or you could follow God himself. And that's the one that we will serve, Joshua says. You see, because God is God of gods. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And that's the God that Joshua decided to serve. And he's making the children of Israel choose which God that they will serve now. The question for us today is, who will we serve? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. Lord, I pray that it can be a blessing to each person, a challenge to them to serve you above all others. And I pray that you will be with us this morning. I pray that you'll be here, meet with us. And I pray that your word will be preached and not mine. Lord, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today is the day of their salvation. We probably sing in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing to understand in this whole thing is that you and I, we all are worshipers. We all worship something or someone. You see, we are built in a way in which we need to worship something. What that something is, is a choice that you and I have to make. The Bible says and teaches that we are what's called tripartite. It means that we are body, soul, and spirit, just like God is tripartite. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so that spirit within us desires to worship something or someone. When we're not saved, that spirit within us just grabs onto something 
and worships that something. But when we're saved, we have the option, we have the opportunity to worship God and God alone. But you and I oftentimes make decisions to instead worship some other idol, some other God in our life. So we have to understand that we are all worshipers and we will make a choice which God we will serve. We'll make a choice today which God we'll serve. We'll make a choice this week which God we'll serve. We'll make a choice this month which God we'll serve. Sometimes we'll even make a choice this hour which God we will serve. If you go to places like Thailand, Korea, China, sometimes even in Africa, you'll find temples, and they're filled with rituals and sacrifices and physical idols that people come and they worship and they bow down to it, and they believe that that's going to help them and save them and uh, whatever their belief system is. These are uh, a more uh, old way of doing things. This is how it was in the nation of Israel. But if you go to places like San Francisco or other high-tech cities, you don't necessarily see temples where people are ritually sacrificing animals or other people. You don't see physical idols where people are bowing down. But what you see are people who are sacrificing on the altars of power. They're sacrificing on the altars of pleasure. They're sacrificing on the altars of prestige and money and pleasure and all of these other things that they could have in their lives. They are also worshipers, just in a different sense. They have chosen their gods and they sacrifice to them. So everyone is going to worship a god. The question is, which god are you serving? Which god are you worshiping? You know, the advertising agencies know this. When you watch something maybe like the Super Bowl next week, you're going to see a lot of ads. I don't know what time the Super Bowl is, but if it's in the evening, you should be in church, you should be watching us online instead. But if you watch the Super Bowl, you'll see ads. And the advertising agencies realize that everybody desires to worship something. And everybody will worship something. They make products that will be the savior of your fill-in-the-blank. They'll be the savior of your depression. They'll be the savior of your boredom. They'll be the savior of your unhappiness. And then they ask you, well, all you have to do is buy this product. And you'll be saved from whatever this is. You know, they even offer invitations. Just like we do here at church. They offer an invitation. Call us now. Call this number. Visit us online. Order online you almost half expect them to break into just as I am in the background as they offer that invitation. They tap into our natural desire to worship something. We must understand what worship is. What is worship? Worship is not necessarily coming to church on Sunday morning, dressed to the nines, singing the songs, praying the prayers, coming to the altar at the end of the message. That's not worship. That is part of worship. And I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you look nice. You look nice. But worship is every day. Worship is you being in the right sense with God. On a very basic level, worship is the built-in human reflex to put your hope in something or someone else and then chase after it. You hold something up, and you give your entire life to pursuing it. What are you holding up today? And what are you spending your life pursuing? We identify the things that we want, whether they're good or bad, and then we make sacrifices to get them. I often say, I've told my wife, I've told my family, everything requires a sacrifice. If I want something, I have to pay money for it. That's the sacrifice. If I want to go do something, then that means I can't do something else. 
if I've got my plate full of, of work and church duties, I can't just go off and do something. Well, that's the sacrifice. Or if I decide to do that, then I'm sacrificing this other stuff over here. Everything requires a sacrifice. And Joshua here is tasking the Israelites to choose who will they worship, and by then choosing, they shape the nation of Israel for years to come. Because their choice will affect generations to come. So we all are worshipers. And the other thing you have to know is that you can only worship one God. We talk about how we should put Christ first in our life. And that's good because you should put Christ first in your life. But it's kind of a little confusing because he should be the only one. You should only have Christ. You should not have other idols. You should not be putting Christ first in front of the whole other line of idols in your life. He does not want to compete with the other idols in your life. You cannot simply just put God in front of all your other idols, your idols of, of the job, your God of the job, your God of the social media, your God of the car, your God of the decorations and layout of the house. You can't just put God in front of all of that and say, well, I've put God first. Well, yes, but you also still have all these other idols in your life. You can only worship one God. Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This was a command given to Moses, given to the children of Israel, because Israel was familiar with a lot of gods. After they came out of Egypt, they spent 400 years in Egypt. And Egypt had a plethora of gods to worship. And God here is saying, don't, put, don't have any other gods before me. The word before me does not mean ahead of me. So if you think of like a long line of cars, if you're in traffic, right, the car in front of you is before you, it's ahead of you. That's not what God means. God means in the presence of. Don't have any other gods in the presence of me. I should be the only one. There ought not to be any other gods around me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me means God should be God alone. Psalm 86.10 says, Thou art God alone. Isaiah 44.6 says, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44.8 says, Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. D.L. Moody said, You don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. You and I can only worship one God. So which God will it be? Well, let's see the options. All right? Back in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua here says, the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. So we see the gods of your fathers. This goes all the way back to Abraham and Abraham's family, his father Terah. If you look over in verse 2, it says, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. So you can see that Abraham's father served other gods. He didn't serve the one true God, he served other gods. And so Abraham's father had other gods, but Abraham left that country and he pursued after the covenant that God had given to him to build a nation, to build a people, to serve God. And now he followed the one true God. Now we call him the God of the Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob for that reason. And so we might say that it's just in my DNA that I worship such and so. It's just in my DNA that this is my focus. 
People today blame their parents for how they are today. They blame their parents for the problems in their lives. And I understand that there are circumstances, uh, egregious circumstances, in which the parents were abusive or they were neglectful and the, pers- the, the child grew up and turned out to be whatever they are. And those could be valid claims that the parents kind of, you know, had an impact on that child's life in a negative way. But in the normal sense, we, we talk about adult children who grow up and blame their parents for the problems that they have. They say, oh, well, they dragged me to church every Sunday. Or I had to do all of these things. Or you, you never gave me this. And they, they, they make all of these excuses and they blame their parents for all the problems that they have. Well, let me tell you this. We're all adults here. We can take responsibility for our own actions, can't we? We, we can take responsibility for the decisions that you and I have made to turn us into what we are today. Your parents have an impact on you when you're a child, and it, it should be in a positive sense. But you cannot just turn around and blame them for all of your problems. We inherit physical traits from our parents. You might have your, your, your dad's nose, I'm sorry. You may have your mom's eyes. You may have some character trait or some physical trait from your parents that was inherited. You may also have inherited the gods that they worshipped too. Was your dad so focused on building his career that he would sacrifice the family time and the days off on the altar of success? Would he worship in the temple of his office 60 to 70 hours a week? And are you finding yourself doing the same? You're holding up your career and you're pursuing after it. You're giving your life to it just like your dad did. Well, maybe you're worshiping the God of your father. Was your mom so obsessed with the appearances of things that the whole house had to be deep cleaned Every day, or especially before guests arrived, you know, and make sure everything's not everything's clean, and it's good to have a clean house. It's very good to have a clean house. Or, or maybe she was so obsessed with appearances that everybody had to be perfectly dressed and makeup done and hair done before anybody left the house. Did she sacrifice the family dollar in the temple of shopping so that you could have the latest fill in the blank? Do you find yourself following the similar patterns? Maybe you're worshiping the God of your mother. Instead, we ought to hold up Jesus Christ. We ought to hold Him up and give Him our lives instead of holding up these other material things. All right, so what are the other gods? Well, the gods of your past. Joshua 24, 14, it says, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. So we saw the gods of your fathers. So now we see the gods of your past. Joshua here mentions Egypt because it's in Israel's not-too-distant past. They just came out of Egypt not so long ago, after they, and then they conquered Canaan land. And Egypt was known for many, many gods. And a lot of times they would uh, combine human and animal uh, to make their god. For instance, Anubis was a man with the head of a jackal. He was the god of mummification and the afterlife. The god Ra was the man with the head of a falcon, and he was the god of the sun and creation. And then Horus was uh, the man with the head of a falcon also, and he was the god of sky, war, and hunting. And so they combined all of these different things, and they had a plethora of gods. Those were only a couple. Uh, We could not spend the whole day talking about all the gods that Egypt had. And Joshua knew that after spending 400 years in Egypt, the Israelites could still be holding on to some of those gods, some of those gods of the past. Do you find yourself holding on to things of your past? Do you find yourself slipping back into the sin of your old life? 
You know, for those of us who are saved, we understand that there's an old nature and that there's a new nature. Galatians chapter 5 clearly explains that they are warring against each other, the flesh against the spirit. Whoever we give in to is the one who will succeed. Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? And a lot of times, we'll go back to our past sins, our past vices, our past uh, life, and pull from that and live for those gods of the past instead of living for the one true God. If you've been born again, you've invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, but you may still be paying attention to those other gods in your life. We need to instead follow Jesus fully and leave the past gods behind us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We have to leave the past with the Lord and follow him instead. Don't bring that baggage with you. Jesus is the great burden bearer. Jesus will be the one to take that on himself so that you no longer have to. When you ask Jesus into your life, Jesus took all of your sin. What do we say, Daquan? Past, present, and future. And he cleanses you from all that sin so that you no longer have to care for it. The past should not be any part of your life at all. But I know we struggle with the past, and it, and it irks at us, and we go back to that sin, that old nature that we should no longer have. But Joshua here says to choose this day who you will serve. And that's the key. Every day we have to decide to live for Christ. Every day we have to decide to put the gods of the past away and to put to hold up the God alone, God himself. We must choose Jesus this day and every day. All right, so we've seen the gods of your fathers, the gods of the past. Now we see the gods of our culture. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, he says, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. So the, the Amorites here were the, uh, the nation that Israel had already conquered. And so they left behind all the spoils, they also left behind all of their gods. Gods like Baal and Astaroth required sacrifices and temples and rituals. It would have just been easy for the Israelites to worship them. They were already part of the area. They were already part of the culture. They've conquered. They own all of that land now. But it's already there, so why not just worship it? It may be easy for us to worship the gods of this culture. Well, everybody else is doing it, so why don't I just do it? I know you're all not a bunch of teenagers here, and that message is for teenagers too, but it's also for adults. Just because everybody else is worshiping the gods of this world does not mean that we have to. What could be some of the gods of the culture? Materialism, the relentless pursuit of wealth and possessions. I must get this. I have to get all of these. I have to have the biggest house. I have to have the fanciest car. I have to have the newest cell phone. I have to have this. I have to have that. Materialism is a god of this culture. We have to have it, and what does Amazon Prime do? It gets us to us now, right? We have to have it, and we have to have it now. Social media. While technology has many benefits, and you know here at church we use technology we are on YouTube, we're online, we're live streaming right now. We put devotions out every day. We do clips and shorts and all these other things. We use technology for its benefits. We use technology to further the, God, the cause of Christ, to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even though there are benefits to technology, a lot of times people obsess over their devices and their social platforms 
And it can lead to worship where your attention and your self-worth is defined and excessively tied to those online interactions. We, we seek to be validated when we post that, vi- that video or we post that photo of me at the restaurant with my food. Uh, all these foodies out there. Who's, who's a foodie? You take a picture of your food. Yep. Uh, I call myself, it's a weird term, I call myself a platey because I take a picture of the empty plate because I ate it all because I enjoyed it so much. You get all these people on social media and they, they look for that validation from other people. Social media is fine in, 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 in control if you control yourself with social media. But people obsess over it. Work and career success could be an idol. Professional achievement, having your identity and self-worth solely defined by your job title and your career successes. You want that corner office with the grand view of the city. You want to be on the 10th floor, on the 100th floor of that skyscraper. You want to be the vice president. You want to be the president. You want to be all of these things, you put those gods of this culture ahead of God himself. Fame and personal image, looking at all of the the pop stars and all of the actors and desiring to have the clothes and to have the fame and the the personal image, seeking approval and validation from others about your appearance and, and your lifestyle. Pleasure and comfort could be a god. Leisure when it is consistently taking precedence over serving the Lord. Maybe you take a vacation every once in a while. That's fine. It's okay to take vacations. We all take vacations. But if you're out every weekend and you're missing service every weekend, maybe your vacations are becoming a God. Politics could be a God. When your allegiance to a political ideology or a national identity supersedes your spiritual uh, vitality and your spiritual growth, Again, politics is just part of the game here. We have to vote. We have to follow the politics to some level. But you do not need to obsess over it. It does not need to become a God. So instead, here's what we do. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Paul has the cure for these gods. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice because you are alive and you're not dead, and we're not going to sacrifice you on an altar. You are a a living being, and you must present yourself a living sacrifice to God. What is the sacrifice? Your life. Your pursuit of these gods. And instead, we should not be conformed to this world, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So don't conform to the worship of this fallen world system, but rather renew your mind through God's word, And allow him to change you so that you can worship the way that he desires. So that you can worship him alone and not the gods of the culture. So we've seen the gods of your fathers. We've seen the gods of of the culture. We've seen the gods of your past. So what's the last option? Well, turn over to Joshua chapter 24 again. Joshua 24 verse 15. He tells us the last option, which in reality is the only option. 
Joshua 24, 15, he says at the end, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm sure many of us have that plaque on our wall somewhere in our house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's no other option other than God in reality. All of these other gods have not done anything for you that's lasting. You ask yourself this, of all the things that we've talked about this morning so far, what have those other gods ever done for you? The gods of your father and your mother, the gods of your past, the gods of your culture, the materialism, the fame, the success, the leisure, have they ever done anything lasting for you? If you're honest with yourself, you say no. Joshua here told the people of Israel what God did for them. Look at verse 3. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and I led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac, and I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent, un, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the, man, the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwelt in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat. These are all the things that God has done for the nation of Israel. God literally fought for them. If you look back in Joshua, you'll see a Christophany, how the angel of the Lord came down and fought for the nation of Israel. God himself came down and fought for the Israelites. They conquered the land. God gave them all of these things. He took them out of Egypt. He raised them up as a great nation. God has done all of these things for the nation of Israel, and now it comes to a point in which they have to make a choice. Are you going to follow after the gods of your fathers and of the past and of the culture, or are you going to choose the one and only true God, and are you going to worship him instead? So we ask ourselves, what has the Lord done for you? Well, if we opened it up for testimonies, I'm sure there'd be hand after hand after hand after hand of people testifying of what the Lord has done for them. Psalm 86, 8 says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings. This is what the Lord has done for you. He's set you up. He's propped you up and helped you to be the person you are today and desires for you to be the person he wants you to be tomorrow. Some more verses. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. Philippians 2 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Titus chapter 3 says, But after the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is the story of a a God, man, 100% man and 100% God, who came down, born of a virgin, a sinless, perfect human God, who then grew up, served the people around him, and then was crucified for it. He was killed on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for you and for me. Why? Because he wanted to save us from our sins. Because you and I are sinful beings. Because you and I desire to serve the gods of our fathers. We desire to serve the gods of our past. We desire to serve the gods of this culture. And because of that, Christ was put on the cross to pay for your sins and for mine. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what God has done for us. So why would we not serve Him? He shed His perfect blood for you and for me. The least of what we can do is to hold him up and to devote our entire lives to pursuing him. There can be only one God on the throne of our lives. God will not compete with any God, small G-O-D, God. And once we've picked God to be Lord of our lives, we must love him and we must serve him completely which ties in perfectly with our theme, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Does that verse say you ought to love the gods of your fathers with your whole heart? Does that verse say you ought to love the gods of your past with your whole heart? Does it say that you ought to love the gods of this culture with your whole heart? No, it says you ought to love the Lord thy God, the one true God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind. What does that mean? With all of us. Every part of you ought to serve Him, ought to worship Him. And He must be the only God on the throne of our lives. And if you're not saved today, you don't have the option of choosing God over the other gods in your life. You only have what you have. You don't have access to God yet. But you can. The Bible says in Acts 30, uh, 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, God loved you so much. He offers you an opportunity now to ask Jesus into your heart to save you from your sins so that you too can choose each and every day to worship him over the gods of your father, over the gods of the past, and over the gods of the culture. And Christian, you and I have to do the same. Each and every day, we have to choose God over the other things around us. There's many different things that are striving 
to get your attention. There's so much out there on the internet. There's so much out there in our world. There's so many businesses. There's so many TV shows. There's so many things that all they want to do is grab your attention. And once you get distracted by such a thing, then you've taken God off the throne of your life and you've put an idol. You've put another God up. And God will not compete with that. It's your choice to put God up, to hold him up, and to pursue him with your entire life. Are you willing to make that choice today? Are you willing to hold up God, the one true God, and pursue him with your entire life? Or are you battling against the gods of your past and you're holding them up and you're like, oh, well, I want to put God up, but I can't because I got this vice. Is it, are you blaming your parents? Are you following the gods of your parents? Are you following the gods of this culture, the materialism, the social media, the politics? Are you propping those up and serving that? I challenge you today to instead drop all of that, get rid of it all, and only hold up God and only pursue God with your life. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Joshua and his profound statements to the nation of Israel. We thank you for our ability to apply it to us today so that we serve you over anything else. That we hold you up and not any of the other gods around us. We know we can only serve one God, Lord, and we pray that it be you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to think to yourself, are you, are you pull, holding up some other God in your life? Are you following a God of your father or your mother? Are you holding up a God from your past? Are you holding up a God of this culture? If you are, come to the altar. Destroy that altar. Destroy that idol, that other God, and hold up the one true God in your life. Desire to live for Him above all other things. And if you're here today and you're not saved, the Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. The penalty for that is death, eternal separation from God. But through the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, we can be saved. All we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you've never asked Jesus into your heart, right now you can do so. Simply pray a prayer and mean it from your heart. Say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sin and take me to heaven when I die every head bowed, every eye closed, all I want to do is pray for you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you hold your hand up so I can pray for you? Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your message. I pray that it can be a challenge and a help to someone today, and we'll thank you for it. We proudly sing in Christ's name.